So you know that story in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying and he comes back to the disciples and they've fallen asleep again. And he wakes them up and he says, watch and pray so that you don't enter temptation. I think the way that we take that verse is really misunderstood. I think that we, we really don't understand what Jesus means whenever he says that. Today, we're gonna to talk through it together. Hi, I'm Joseph Walter and this is Loving Theology. So we're starting a new series today where we're gonna talk through Jesus's final hours. And the hours leading up to his crucifixion, what did Jesus face? What did Jesus do? How did he carry himself? What did he say? And as we think about that time, obviously we know that it was a time filled with incredible hardship. Now, Jesus was no stranger to persecution. He had been persecuted his entire life. But in these final hours, he endured immense physical and emotional hardship. And I think if there's one aspect to the hardship that he endured that, that maybe you and I understand better than, better than the other, it's the physical hardship. It's the pain that he endured. Because there's so many books and commentaries and movies even written and made about depicting basically the, the physical suffering that he endured in his final hours. So because of that, I'd like to draw a different emphasis. You see, I don't think that the suffering that he endured was simply physical. The suffering that he endured was also emotional. He faced incredible emotional sorrow over the things that happened, the, the events that happened, the betrayals, everything that happened leading up to his arrest and his crucifixion were like life-defining events, big events that he went through. And I wanna walk through them and see what did he really endure? And also in the midst of that, how did he carry himself? How did he respond to these things that were happening to him? Now, as a first example, let's think about the way that Jesus was arrested. Now, Jesus had many followers. There were a lot of people sort of tagging along with his ministry, but there were 12 that he would have called friends. There were 12 people, the 12 disciples that he had chosen that were sort of close to him, that were the closest of his followers, people that he sat with and relaxed with, the people that he got away with whenever there were too many people around him. These were his friends. And one of those was Judas. And we know that Judas had agreed with the religious leaders to betray Jesus for just 30 silver coins. Now, it happened that after the Passover dinner was finished, Judas slipped off to basically go and get a mob of people to come back and arrest Jesus. But not everybody in that mob would recognize who Jesus was. So Judas arranged a sign to let them know which of these people was going to be Jesus and, and how he would let the mob know who to arrest. And so he said, all right, whoever I kiss on the cheek, that's going to be Jesus. You see, kissing on the cheek, that was a, that was a common greeting, but it was reserved for close friends and family, uh, a lot like it is today in some cultures. Let me read for you the account out of Matthew 27, starting in verse 49. It says, And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And I want you to notice that word friend. Now, I think that you and I imagine that maybe Jesus didn't really like Judas very much. I don't think that's true. Obviously, we know that Jesus loved Judas. And I think that I imagine at least that he sort of kept a wall up with Judas because he knew that he was going to betray him. And yes, he had to have him along. Um, but I don't think that's the case. I think that he enjoyed Judas's company. I think that he enjoyed their friendship. I think that they were really, truly friends. Now, obviously, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Um, he, he had said as much in just a few verses earlier. But whenever he did so by kissing him on the cheek, I think that it almost caught Jesus off guard a little bit. You can almost hear the surprise in his voice. 
There's a, a verse in Luke where he says this, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? You see, it's almost as if Jesus had been preparing himself for one of his closest friends to betray him. But he couldn't help but feel the weight of that betrayal and the sorrow that he felt whenever Judas did so with the very symbol of their friendship. Now I wanna pause here really quick. Maybe you identify with this story. Maybe you also feel betrayed. Uh, maybe one of your closest friends betrayed you. And certainly maybe it wasn't to the same degree, but maybe you can find some comfort in knowing that Jesus knows how you feel. Um, we've also got another series that I hope might be helpful to you if you're in that situation on forgiveness and what that process of forgiveness looks like and, and how we can work through that in even the most difficult times to forgive. I'll link that series below in case that might be helpful to you. But the other question I wanted to consider is how did Jesus carry himself during this? How did Jesus carry himself? He knew that he was going to be betrayed. How did he carry himself leading up to that? So let's back up a little bit. Now we know that Jesus was arrested during the Passover and, and that tradition began with the Passover meal. But before they sat down to eat, the disciples needed to wash their feet because you see, they didn't have pavement, right? So all the streets were dirty and dusty um, and they also all wore sandals. So their feet were pretty dirty. It was a pretty dirty job to wash the feet. And because it was such a dirty job, it was usually reserved for one of the servants of the house and probably one of the lower servants, like the new guy, right? Um, but what was incredible is that that night, Jesus actually washed the disciples' feet. And he did so because he wanted to set an example of love and service. And I think in that example, there's even a pattern where I think Jesus continues to do that for us. He continues to serve us. He continues to serve us in protecting our salvation even. Uh, we have a series where we talk about resting in our weakness and the rest that knowing these things can bring. I'll link that series in case that's helpful to you. As we think about the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, we all think of him washing Peter's feet. Because of the exchange that happened in between, between the two of them, we can picture him washing Peter's feet. But the reality, of course, is that he washed all of the disciples' feet. And in particular, I think the most amazing part is that he washed Judas's feet. And I think he spent just as much time and care and expressed just as much love in washing Judas's feet as he did in washing Peter's feet. And what's more is we just talked about the depth of Judas's betrayal and how Jesus was feeling that, that, that because he knew that Judas was going to betray him, and, and more than that, even despite the fact that he knew, he felt that betrayal. He felt the sorrow of that betrayal. He knew that Judas was just a few hours away from betraying him. And nevertheless, I wanna to read to you the way that Jesus washed his feet. Now I'm gonna obviously draw a particular emphasis to Judas as I read this out of John uh, 13. Um, that we know is implied by the fact that he washed all of the disciples' feet. So knowing that he was just a few hours away from betraying him, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer garment, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began washing Judas' feet, drying them with the towel that was around him. Now, in thinking about that, and sort of putting myself in Jesus' shoes, I can feel the weight of the betrayal that he was feeling. And yet you see that incredible picture of love in what he did. But, but what happened next? What happened after the meal? And John 14 through 16 really captures well and does a good account for us of what happened after the meal. You see, Jesus had just told his disciples that he was going to die. And because of that, the disciples were very sad. They felt the weight of that. But of course, out of all of them, 
naturally, Jesus was the one who had to be feeling it the most. He was the one who knew with specific detail what he was going to face. So he had to be feeling that. This, this, if anything, was a moment where the disciples should be encouraging him and comforting him. But instead, we see this picture where Jesus, again, did not come to be served, but to serve. Let me read you just a couple examples. In John 14, 1, he told his disciples, and he comforted them, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Then a few verses later, in 14, 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And a couple chapters later, John 16, 20, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And Jesus goes on in John chapter 17 to pray for his disciples, to comfort them and encourage them to build them up. And if anything, this was the moment where his disciples, where his friends should be praying for him. His disciples should be encouraging him. And yet, this is the moment where he chooses instead to serve them, to pray for them, to encourage them. Whenever he needed it the most, he still gave it to them. And maybe in reading that, um, a couple of those verses resonate with you. Maybe you could use a little comfort right now in the sorrow and, and struggle that you feel. Um, and if, if that's the case, maybe I'd reference our series on his love and our suffering and, and his companionship in our distress. That's one of, the, one of the posts in there. I'll link that below in case that might be helpful to you. Now, it was after this that then Jesus took the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he basically drew alone to pray um, and to find some encouragement from the Father. But before he did that, he pulled aside out of the 12 disciples, he pulled aside the three that were closest to him. And he told them about the turmoil that his soul was in. He, he was honest with them. And here's what he said. He said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So he was asking his friends to pray with him. But whenever he came back, he found that they were sleeping. And the Bible does tell us that they were sleeping because they were sorrowful, because of everything that Jesus had shared with them. And so whenever he finds them sleeping, he wakes them up and he tells them to keep praying. And I think that whenever we read that, I think that we read it wrong. And I think the reason that we read it wrong is because we can feel maybe a little guilty. Uh, maybe you can relate, like I can, to uh, making plans to wake up at 5 a.m. or whenever, to wake up early and to pray, only to find that you woke up uh, right to fall back to sleep rather than pray. And sometimes maybe we feel a little guilty about that, and so we can kind of read ourselves into this story. But why was Jesus asking them to stay awake and pray? I mean, he knew that they were tired. Was this uh, because, uh, uh, this was maybe the first moment where his concern for himself was coming out? Was he asking them to pray for his benefit? Um, I don't think so. Let, let's read carefully the reason that Jesus gives, because he does tell us why. In Matthew 26, 41, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. And asking them to stay awake and pray, he wasn't doing it then for his benefit. You see, he, he wasn't looking to the disciples for strength. He was looking to the Father. We know that because that's what Luke says, is that the Father sent an angel to strengthen him. That's why he drew alone to pray, is because he needed the Father to strengthen him. But see, he knew that the disciples were about to face an incredible temptation to deny him and fall away. And Jesus wanted them to not succumb to that temptation. He knew what they needed. He, they needed strength from the Father. 
See, he had already served them in washing their feet. He had already encouraged them in those verses and he had already prayed for them after the meal. But at the end of the day, he knew what they needed, which was the same thing that he needed to get strength from the Father, to be strengthened by the Father so that they wouldn't succumb to temptation. So in going back to the disciples to wake them up and encourage them to pray, he was actually taking a break from what he needed. What he needed was time with the Father. So he wasn't doing this for his benefit, but for the disciples, because he knew what they needed. They needed also to be strengthened by the Father because he knew what was coming and he didn't want them to succumb to that temptation. So again, here he displays for us that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And in that moment, that's exactly what he was doing. You see, and I think that maybe part of the reason why we misread this verse too is because we misunderstand the purpose of prayer. That we, we almost sometimes, I think, think of prayer as something that we do to be better Christians, to check another thing off the to-do list, and, and maybe even almost provide service to God. But the reality is that prayer is one of those things where God serves us. That we, we do prayer because we need it, because it's beneficial to us. It's part of our self-care. We've got another series where we talk about that that I've called Make Room to be Refreshed. I'll link that below in case that's something that you want to explore further. But in all of this, what we can see is that in the midst of the agony that Jesus faced, in leading up to his arrest and his betrayal, that his love for the disciples, his love for us showed through. That he selflessly loved them and made time to help them even in the midst of his darkest hours. But what happens next? What happens after his betrayal? What happens after his arrest? What about during his trial? How did he respond to the fact that the disciples abandoned him and that people were accusing him? How did he carry himself through that? We'll explore that next time as we continue this series. Be sure to subscribe and hit the bell because you won't want to miss it. I'll also put a link for this series in case you're watching this later so that you can see every post here. Thank you again for joining us today.